0: like a bride waiting for a groom. We'll be at church waiting for you. Thank you, Pastor Kevin. Thank you, Heather. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, church. Even so come, even so come, Lord Jesus. If you'd open your Bibles in our continuing series, we're coming down closer to the close of John chapter 3. This section going from chapter 22 through 30, and it has three segments to it that we'll be looking at. And I'm going to just read verse 29 and 30. I've entitled the message The Bridegroom Has the Bride. The Bridegroom Has the Bride. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Let's ask the Lord to be with us this morning. As we preach this message before we come to the table of the Lord. And remember and commemorate the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we wait for you. We wait for you. You're our bridegroom. You're coming soon. Let our lamps be trimmed and brightly burning. That moment will come. When the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then it will be said for eternity, the bridegroom has the bride. Speak to our hearts. Prepare us for that day. Prepare us for taking the bread and the cup worthily today. None of us can be worthy in ourselves, but we can take it worthily by confessing our sins even during the message and preparing our hearts for this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That great artist Leonardo da Vinci when he completed his famous painting that I've seen in some of your own homes. It is The Last Supper. He took one of his friends to view the painting. And he asked his friend what he thought of the painting. And the friend looked at it for a while. And then he said, the striking part of this picture is the cup. And the famous artist reached down and took a brush. And with one stroke, he wiped out the cup. And then he said, Nothing in my painting shall attract more attention than the face of my master. Da Vinci shared one special longing with John the Baptist. Both of them sought by their lives to attract people's undivided attention to the Savior. John the Baptist's constant message was, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, the message that God has laid on my heart today, before we take the Lord's Supper, is part of John the Baptist's last testimony before he was placed in prison and beheaded. His last testimony, which was always and ever, pointing to our Lord Jesus Christ. After Jesus' night interview that we've spent a number of messages preaching through, his interview with Nicodemus, he departed from Jerusalem after the Passover, and he was on his way to Galilee. But for a short time, he went into the Judean wilderness, into the countryside along the Jordan River, and he remained there with his disciples for some time. And we read about it here in John 3.22. It tells us that he was baptizing. Jesus had infuriated the temple authorities in Jerusalem by cleansing the temple, but he had three plus years of work on earth to do before dying on the cross for all of us. And part of the Father's plan was now for him to depart into the rural districts of Judea, near the Jordan River, en route to Galilee. John the disciple that leaned on Jesus' bosom, admired John the Baptist. This gospel writer, also called John the Evangelist, this man had more to say about this particular time in Jesus' life than all three of the other gospels because the synoptic writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, never said anything about this particular event. Why? It appears that this eyewitness account, as we've seen in John 1, 2, and 3, That John the evangelist and disciple, before he became a disciple of Jesus, had been a disciple of John the Baptist. Now the stated purpose of John the Gospel writer was to point others always to the Savior. And I may say it in most of the rest of my messages through John. What's the purpose in John? He says in John 20, 30 and 31, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Therefore, it's important for all of us to note that what we're looking at today is recorded in one place in the scriptures here in John three twenty-two to 30, not recorded by Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And the narrative as we read it relates to a problem that John the Baptist faced as he, as the forerunner, was closing out his ministry, not knowing he would be arrested and soon beheaded. Today, as we come to the table of the Lord, I want us to examine three different segments of this passage. Verses 22 through 24 present the situation that created the problem. And then, in verses 25 and 26... We'll see what the problem was. And then in verses 27 to 30, before we come to the table of the Lord, we'll see this glorious ending, the solution to the problem. And I pray in my heart today that whatever I preach today, if there's anything that stands out like the cup or anything else, to keep us from seeing Jesus more clearly in focus, that God would wipe that out of your thinking so that we would focus on Jesus Christ, Him and Him alone. Now let's look at these three segments. The situation that caused the problem, the problem itself, and then the solution that came through the very words, the anointed words of John the Baptist. First of all, let's examine the situation creating the problem. We look at verses 22 to 24 and we read after this, after Jesus' interview with Nicodemus, he and his disciples went into the Judean countryside. He remained there with them and he was baptizing. John also was baptizing near Enon, near Salem, because water was plentiful there. And the people were coming and being baptized and in the parenthesis it says, but John had not yet been put in prison. The problem in short appears to be The same problem that we have right now in the church today in Rock Springs Evangelical Free Church and every other church in this community and every other church in America every other church around the world. There are problems with bitterness and rivalry. Jealousy. Strangely. It's a strange, strange thing. There were problems because some of the people that are in this passage show us that they saw, they saw the ministry of John the Baptist and Jesus as rivalry, as competitors. It's as if we would somehow begin to look at the other churches in the community and wonder what is our standing and where, what number are we and where do we, who's the biggest and who's the greatest? Foolishness. The height of stupidity. And yet we are flesh and it happens. Even at Rock Springs Evangelical Free Church. It happens all over the world. It's a sad thing. Now, the very idea of this situation happened in a time not spoken of by Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they don't speak of it, but Jesus was coming to this place where John was baptizing and now... John four one to three makes it clear that Jesus himself was not really baptizing, but it was his disciples who were not to say that john 's disciples weren't also helping him baptize we don 't know all we know is that John four one to three explains it, and says now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself didn't baptize but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So we know his ultimate plan was about 90 miles away from Jerusalem. Now, the word of God is very clear about one thing. This is parenthetic. This isn't important for this message, but I'm going to say it because it's here. And sometimes you need to preach it when it's there. And I want to tell you something. Why were they at Enon near Salem? John 3, 23 says it well. It says, John the Baptist was also baptizing at Enon near Salem because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized. Don't miss the obvious. I believe in immersion, total immersion for baptism, not pouring and sprinkling. It's not, I'm preaching against it, but I'm just telling you there's a reason they were in Enon near Salem. There were some water holes there in the Jordan that were just perfect for baptizing. There was much water now i got it out now i'm done just wanted you to know that when we come adrian tonight i know about this it's filled up with heated water there's much water here it's suitable for more than just pouring and sprinkling it's here for total immersion for those of you that have been to israel like richard and debbie just came back from there You might want to know a little bit about where enon near salem is it's about 50 miles northeast of jerusalem and it's about 40 miles straight up and down the jordan river from jericho and what's going on there it's important for us to understand what's going on and that is that there are two different sets of people baptizing with their disciples and They were both happening, and it was a different kind of baptism than we're going to have tonight. The kind of baptism going on at this time was a baptism unto repentance. People that were getting ready for Messiah, and so therefore they were coming and confessing their sins and preparing their hearts for Jesus' ministry as Messiah. Tonight, when Pastor Will baptizes you, Adrian, a different baptism it'll be the way after Pentecost baptisms occurred and the way it occurs is it is an outward sign of an inward work of God's grace because God has worked in your heart and he's washed you in the blood of the lamb Adrian you're confessing that as you're baptized that you've completely had a life that's changed and as your body goes into the water You're showing people that as he washed you in your blood, you're totally immersed by his blood. You're totally immersed in water. And you come out and we clap. We give testimony to the great work. That's the baptism they weren't doing at this time. That's the baptism after Pentecost. Now to clarify the situation a little bit more, you need to understand that verse 24 says, for John had not yet been put in prison. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us that right after Jesus' temptation, John was put in prison. And that's true. But there is, between this and this, it's like a foothill. There is a period of time in between Jesus' temptation and John being placed in prison. And that is, he's on his way to Galilee, and he has this ministry that is two parallel ministries going on at the Jordan River. So I want to tell you what Matthew, Mark, and Luke write. Matthew says in Mark 4.12, he says, Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. Yes, he did, but he stopped at Enon near Salem. Then in Mark 1.14 and 15, right after the temptation of Jesus, following his baptism by John the Baptist, we read that Mark says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. And yes, he did, after stopping at Enon near Salem proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. This shows that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and Luke take up the story of Jesus after this little pericope, this little ministry that's happening on his way to Galilee. Now what does Luke say? Luke has much to say about John baptizing, and I could read all of Luke 3, but I won't. But I will tell you in verses 18... To 22 what he says he says and you'll find that as he captures it he puts the, the pr- imprisonment of john the baptist right in the middle of telling you a story about jesus baptism it says so with many other exhortations john the baptist preached good news to the people you can be sure it was at enon near salem but herod the tetrarch who had been reproved by john the baptist For Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them, or added this to his sins, that he locked up John in prison. And when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized, Luke writes, and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you're my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. So what are we learning? What's the situation that's causing the problem? The problem is two parallel ministries were going on pretty close to each other, maybe a few hundred yards, maybe a quarter of a mile. But here's John's bunch, and they're baptizing. And here's Jesus' bunch, and they're baptizing. And there's more now being baptized in this bunch with Jesus by his disciples than with John the Baptist. Two parallel ministries. By the way, that still goes on today. Aren't you so glad that in Sweetwater County we're not the only church? There are so many other churches preaching the gospel today. And these parallel ministries are not in rivalry. Or if we are, God forgive us. We're not in rivalry with one another. We need each other. There are people this church can't reach. And we can reach people that others can't reach. Two parallel ministries that precipitated this situation that created the problem. So now, what's the problem? Let's focus on it. It's bitterness, control, jealousy. It's an interesting thing. Listen to it in John 3, 25 to 26. They call it a discussion. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's rabbis and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi... He who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. Now these two parallel ministries resulted in this dispute with this admirer of Jesus and Jesus group and some of the followers of John the Baptist. And the implication of verse 25 here, it's interesting, it says there was a discussion over purification. So the implication is that this follower of Jesus felt perhaps that Jesus' baptism had a more purifying effect for repentance than John the Baptist's. You can imagine how important that discussion was. Coupled with this dispute was the fact that Jesus and his disciples who were baptizing, their group was much larger and every day grew larger and John's group was smaller and dwindling every day. The problem thus in these parallel ministries is that the disciples of John the Baptist were quite bitter over the fact that their group that used to be the large group now is the smaller group and getting smaller. Have any of us had problems of jealousy and bitterness? Oh my. It's something we've all had. Now, there are a number of interesting factors to consider in this complaint, and so I want to show you four of them. First of all, there's a spirit here. It's a spirit of jealousy, a spirit of anger of John the Baptist's disciples. They purposely even avoided even mentioning the name of Jesus. They didn't say, Jesus group. No. What did they say? (laughs) Look at it. (laughs) They say, Rabbi... Verse 26, he who was with you, they wouldn't say his name. He who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. That's interesting. They're jealous, so jealous they won't even say his name. Now, the second thing I want to tell you is that when you're jealous and bitter, exaggeration happens all the time and they had to exaggerate to get John the Baptist to enter into their jealousy they hoped he would enter into their bitterness and jealousy and anger and so what did they do they said all are going to him if all were going to him they still wouldn't have some in their group so what are they doing they're trying to make John have this feeling that pretty soon you're going to be without any followers. You won't have any more to baptize. Just watch out. Look at what's happening. Look at it. This church is getting bigger than that church. It happens all over America. What they were saying, in effect, was pretty soon you're out of business. Number three. Yet these disciples seemed to be quite pleased that John himself had bore witness and testimony to Jesus because they said, This one to whom you bore witness, though so they wouldn't say his name. But I believe this is a rebuke to John the Baptist as they seem to be saying to John, You brought it on yourself. You didn't have to baptize him. Why did you baptize him? Now you're losing your bunch. If you wouldn't have baptized him, it wouldn't have happened. And number four, these disciples of John the Baptist seem to be implying that Jesus should be beholden to John the Baptist. And by robbing John of his big crowds, Jesus was being ungrateful to John the Baptist for baptizing him. In their own words, the problem seems to be, if I could give the essence of it, is it right for Jesus to rob you of your ministry? Is it right for him to take away your big crowds? Is it right for him who has received so much help from you now to compete with you? What do you find here? What's the problem? I'll tell you what the problem is. It's all over the world. It's all over marriages. It's all over our lives. It's all over the church. It's a problem of jealousy. It's a problem of control. It's wanting to win. It's wanting to be in charge. It's wanting to be the most right. John the Baptist answer is the heart of our message now as we come to the table of the Lord. We come to the third place. we told you the situation, parallel ministries. The problem is jealousy and bitterness and complaint and control. Now, what's the answer for America? What's the answer in that day? What's the answer from John? What's the answer for me and for you and for our church and for every church? Let's find the solution through the words of John the Baptist, they were anointed. The solution to this jealousy problem, this desire to be the biggest, to be in control, to prove Jesus is even wrong, the solution is found in John the Baptist's reply. He says, and I quote verses 27 to 30, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The bride or the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, if you've missed everything else I've said, this is the heart of the message It's the heart of what God wants to say to you and me today. It's the answer to jealousy and control in our marriages, in our jobs, in our neighborhood, in our churches. First of all, the first answer is John the Baptist answered with a universal principle. It's always been around, it's always been true, but he gives it. Verse 27 John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. This universal principle is, you cannot claim any new authority that has not been directly assigned to you. Jesus is saying, or John is saying that Jesus couldn't have this authority unless it was given to him from above. He wouldn't have all these crowds if God wasn't in it. I want to remind you that on September 22nd, 1976, I received a verbal call and got it later in the mail from this church to be the shepherd of this church. And I sat on it for about two and a half weeks. My wife would remind me ever so often, what are you going to do about that call? And I'd pray about it and think about it and I just remember my wife. Was, we were traveling back, and we'd see corn, or we'd see a green tree, and she'd cry when she saw green. And I just thought, do, do I want to go to this barren place? But I want you to know that we said yes to that call, and we came here October twenty fourth, 1976. Why? It wasn't any authority of my own. It was, I was being called by God through this church to be your shepherd. And I want you to know that any authority I have is not mine. All authority is derived, it comes from God. Any authority any of you have is only authority from God. Steve, when you were up here giving this wonderful Sunday school lesson, you wouldn't be doing this unless God put you in this position. All of our authority is derived from God. And if we take and we seize authority in any area, we'll be judged by God and that authority will be taken away. Our position, beloved, our calling, our success in life, it's all a gift from heaven. It cannot be effectively robbed or snatched by another. They may try. But John the Baptist was saying that if Jesus is winning more followers than he has, it's not because jesus was stealing his disciples it's because god was giving that success to jesus so first of all there's this universal principle any authority you have is derived from god and god alone and if you seize it and take it for yourself watch out second of all john the baptist reminded his his disciples of his past testimony He says in verse 28, you yourselves bear me witness that I said I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. These disciples must have forgotten the words of their rabbi. If they would have remembered, their jealousies might well have never arisen. John the Baptist was saying, don't you remember when the delegation came to me from the Sanhedrin, questioned me as to who I was? What did I tell them? I said, I am not the Christ. Every one of us can say that to anyone we're witnessing. Two, I am not the Christ. I'm just sent before him. Now I'm coming to number three, and I want you to know the third way John the Baptist answered is really, it's awesome. John the Baptist used a popular figure of speech to describe his relationship to Jesus, and you can apply it to your own life. In verse 29, he said, The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Now this, for John's disciples, was the clincher. Here's the clincher. He begins to talk to them about Jewish marriage and marriage customs. And he needs to tell them about something they know all about it's called the shosh if you look it up on google you'll find it there it's all over shosh bin s-h-o-s-s-h-o-s-h-b-e-n he's not just the best man today didn't used to be that way but today if you have a wedding that's very big you have a coordinator don't you have a wedding coordinator sets everything up and makes everything happen This best man was also the coordinator of the marriage. He acted in the place of both best man and coordinator. And you know how long he served? He served all through the betrothal, all through the betrothal. So nine months to a year, he's making all the arrangements for this wedding covenant that's going to occur. And it's going to be a big thing and take seven days. Can you imagine what we do usually in an hour? It takes seven days. So it's a position of high honor. This position to the shashban was given to the bridegroom's chief friend. On the wedding day, the friend of the bridegroom stood beside the bridegroom to serve him, and the joy of the bridegroom was deeply shared with his friend. There they are, the bridegroom is thrilled, and so is the shashban who is with him. But after the wedding, everything that he's done for a year is done except one. The bride goes to her bridal chamber. And when she goes to her bridal chamber, she waits, just like we're waiting for the coming of the Lord. She waits for the coming of the bridegroom. And the job of the shashpin is to keep any false lover from coming and stealing away the bride. Instead, he's waiting for a voice that he knows very well. The voice of the bridegroom. And so he is there. He's waiting, waiting, and waiting. And finally, the bridegroom comes, whether it is at midnight, whether it's early in the morning, whether it's at noon, whether it's in the evening, whatever it is. When he comes and he hears the bridegroom's voice, he opens the door to the bridal chamber. And the bridegroom goes in, and the door is shut, and its job is over. That's it. Shosh ben, you're done. When you hear the voice of the bridegroom, he was glad. The friend of the bridegroom goes away rejoicing. Why? Because his task is completed. The bridegroom and the bride are now together. Thus, John the Baptist is telling his disciples, the bride belongs to the bridegroom, not to the friend of the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom has finished his job, which was to bring the bride and the bridegroom together. And we can thank God for John the Baptist, because he is part of the reason you and I are saved. He pointed the way. He said, this is the one. Behold, the Lamb of God. And now that his job is done, he's going to fade out of the picture. He's going to be arrested right there by the Jordan River, taken by Herod, put in prison, and beheaded. Now, the disciples of John the Baptist knew they could understand clearly what's going on. They knew what we must now know is that John did an incredible favor. For the Lord he introduced everyone to who the bridegroom was and now you and I that know Jesus like Adrian who's gonna get baptized tonight we too are his bride now that John the Baptist heard the voice of Jesus and he led him into the bridal chamber he knew that people were crowding to him to be his bride people like you and me he knew his ministry was coming to a close don't be sorry for John the Baptist This Shashpin, the friend of the bridegroom, now knew his life work was not in vain. His life work is finished. He was rejoicing greatly. His cup of joy was full and running over. When John the Baptist heard that the exaggeration of all the people are going to him, he just prayed and said, Lord, may it be so. May it not be an exaggeration. Let every last one of mine that are here with me go over to that group and go to the bridegroom. Far from bringing out his envy and strife and the jealousy they were looking for, these jealous disciples had unveiled to them one of the most humble souls that this world has ever known. Jesus said, of all those born of women, there is none greater than John the Baptist. His anticipated joy had fully and finally been realized. People now were flocking to the Savior, flocking to Jesus Christ. And still today, people are flocking to Jesus Christ. Charlie, you prayed about revivals going on. People are still coming to Jesus Christ across our country. No church should strive to be the biggest or the greatest That's not our purpose. Our purpose is like a shashba, to bring the lost to Jesus. Fourthly and lastly, and then we'll have communion. John the Baptist concluded his answer to his disciples with one crowning statement. It solved their problem, it ought to solve our problems. He said about Jesus, the bridegroom, He must increase, but I must decrease. As I prepared this message, I cried through most of it. I just cried. Just kept thanking Jesus. That's my desire. That's the purpose of all these years of ministry. Is that your desire? John said he must increase. He didn't say he could or he should or he would or he might or maybe he would, but he said he must. He must increase. It's God's eternal plan for me and you to diminish in any kind of popularity, in any kind of greatness. While Jesus continues to grow and being followed by more and more. Why should crowds flock to John now? Why should they flock to me or you or anyone else? Why should a crowd surround the forerunner when his task is finished? Why should they get around the shoshben and stay with him when the bride is with the bridegroom? Of what value is a herald when the king has arrived? When the king has arrived, the herald has done his job. My task is presently going to be done, John said. It's true for me too. All of us, our job will soon be done. He was arrested, placed in prison, beheaded. He never said these words out of envy or jealousy or bitterness or control. His words were said with great joy. And I say to you in closing, before we come to the table of the Lord, have you and I learned John the Baptist's lesson? It's not for us to attract people. That's for Jesus Christ. It's not for us that we should seek people's loyalty. If people leave this church and go someplace else, and they have over the years many times. Our job is to preach Jesus. There are many churches, and many of them could do a better job than us. But let me tell you something. Our job is to be faithful shashbens until Jesus comes or he takes us home. As we look to this crowning testimony of John, I'm taken back to the first time he saw Jesus and knew who he was because the Holy Spirit lit on Jesus. Remember, he baptized him because Jesus said that all things will be fulfilled. John says, you baptize me. He said, no, no. You baptize me, he said to John. He baptized him and when he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit had told him. That the one on whom a dove comes representing the Holy Spirit, when he lands on his shoulder and remains, that is the one who baptizes with the Holy Ghost and with fire. When he came back from his temptation, and as he was coming, he pointed to him and he says, Look! Look! Look, he had defeated Satan in the wilderness. Now he's going to have his ministry and die for us. He says, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And for those jealous disciples, I believe they knew which group to go to. They knew it was time to change groups. It was time to go to Jesus. The last words of John the Baptist are in essence... Quit looking at me. Behold the Lamb of God. Amen. Those who are going to serve us, if you would come right now.